What's going on team? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. And today we are joined by a very special guest. As always, he's an absolute savage. He's a beast and an all round machine to say the least. Um, but dude, a massive welcome and uh, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. So do you want to just give everyone a little bit of an intro? I hate and I hate being asked this question, but I'm going to ask it for you anyway. Um, do you want to give everyone a little bit of an in- intro? Who's Louis? Yeah. Hi guys. Yeah. So I, I'm Louis. I'm I would say I'm a high performance coach. I'm a, I'm a military veteran, served 13 years as an army commando, Transi- transitioned out three years ago full-time to become a strength conditioning coach in person. COVID hit, transitioned to online. Um, so now I'm a in-person and online coach that's just looking to push the boundaries of what I think is possible for me as an athlete and also me as a coach. Yeah. I love that. Um, it's funny because we've probably got a, like a, a little bit of a similar kind of intro into coaching there in terms of we were in person and then COVID came, got online. How did you find that transition? I was ready for it. It was something I wanted to do. And then it, that obviously just forced my hand. Um, I quite I quite enjoyed it, to be honest. Yeah. What? what why? I, I think I like the pressure. And it was almost, and it, it was, you have to make, you have to take action. You have to make change quickly. Um, and, it, and it meant long days and it meant, meant I was neglecting pretty much everything else in my life um, just while I was dealing with this like emergency. Um, but I, I, quite, I quite liked it. I quite liked the struggle. Yeah, this, this sink or swim. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I was very, very similar. I literally remember overnight, basically quadrupling what we had uh, online in terms of business and things like that. But it was like, well, I, I've got this really weird, like dark energy, which is like just pure fuck you. It's like, fuck you, I'm going to make this work because everyone else would probably say that you are, you won't be able to do that. No way you're going to be able to do that. I've got like a real deep kind of inheritant fuck you in me. Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest, yeah, I think I'm similar. It's that you, it's like that underdog mentality, isn't it? It's like, yeah, this this shouldn't be possible, so I'm going to make it possible. Yeah, all my favourite movies, underdog movies. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, dude, like, touch base a little bit more. Obviously, you showed you showed like explained your background a little bit there. But how did you get into fitness? So when I was at school, uh, so I played football throughout my kind of youth. Uh, got dropped early teens and was like, what am I going to do when I leave school? And uh, I looked at becoming a fitness instructor. And the teacher said to me, the wage is appalling. Don't even bother. So I was like, oh, that's that written off. So then I joined the military um, just off a whim because I had nothing else to do. 16 years old. Didn't want to stay in education, join the military. And then that, that's clearly like fitness heavy. Like your, your day-to-day life is literally training. You're outdoors. You're constantly doing stuff. Um, and then the PTI course, physical training instructor, got presented to me after deployment to Afghanistan. And I was like, yeah, fine. Um, that's aligned with me. Um, so at uh, 19 years old, I'd done the PTI course. And then by 20, I was put in a full-time coaching role, um, taking the, the commando beat up basically through like the, the preparation course. Mm-hmm. So it's really like a trial by fire. Um, really young, throwing straight in at the deep end, new coach. Here's 100 blokes, get them commando fit. And it's just like, right, <laughs> let's go. Yeah, that, that kind of really links back to what you said about the kind of sink or swim thrown in the deep end. So maybe yeah. it's uh, from what I'm hearing there, it's like, hey, you know that when you're put in those situations, it almost forces you to level up and pull through. Yeah, 100%. 
and, and it was also like um that sounds like i was quite independent there but like there, there's a full team I, I was the lead pti but i had a boss who was an incredible mentor um mm. who who absolutely like i make out there that i just took like a duck to water and it went smoothly it wasn't the case like my sessions were poorly organized poorly planned um and I had this mentor there, like literally grilling me, red pen in my training sessions, like li- everything I was doing just got smashed into the ground day after day. Um, and it, but it just forced me to adapt and learn like instantly. Yeah. Sometimes that straight talk and that feedback is exactly what you need. Um, I was very similar in terms of like my background, okay, like coaching and mentoring has always been such a big part of my life. And I feel very lucky that I saw the value in that from such a young age, because I was lucky enough to be around extremely good strength conditioning coaches, rugby coaches, tennis coaches from such a young age. I saw like these people as genuine role models. One of the reasons that I now do what I do is because I wouldn't be where I am or who I am without these people. And I just want to be able to give other people that opportunity, that guidance, that mentorship and be able to teach them kind of the lessons that I've learned. But going into the military at 16 must have been uh, interesting. Yeah, to be honest, like, I, I wasn't a cadet. I had no idea what I was actually getting myself into. Um, I just did, like, a look at life day with PE at school. And uh, we did the assault course and we played a few games. And I was like, yeah, this will do. Um, had nothing else going. So I was like, yeah, let's join, let's join the military. <laughs> and so how long were you in for? 13 years. Wow. And mm. then how, how, come you, how come you came out of things? So I progressed through and I got to the rank of sergeant, which is like the first rung of senior leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're essentially a troop manager. So you have 30 guys beneath you and your job then becomes to manage their careers, which is very boring. Um, I ended up desk bound. I was no longer really like doing the shit I enjoyed. But initially I was like, right, I'm going to make a difference here. Like I'm going to help these guys accelerate their careers and I'm going to help them do like incredible things like I'd experienced throughout my career. And I just kept running into brick walls and it become, it became very political. And then it started to open my eyes actually from when I was a junior soldier to some of the hurdles my management was having that I couldn't see through at the time. And I just thought, I just thought they were lazy or, or bone idle or whatever, but actually like the hurdles you face are so great that as a one man band, you you are not going to beat it. So it's just like, right, I can't, I can't beat it. And I'm not going to like, I'm drop the ego. I'm just going to get out and, and make my own path. And yeah. coaching was the thing that I loved from like nine years previous taking a commando course. So it's like, right, that's what I'm go, going all in on. Yeah. So it sounds like you're just very progress driven. I know we had a conversation about mm. this. I, I, we, uh, for people listening we were at a uh, talk a couple of weeks ago and kieran the guy who's, whose uh, conference it was he just asked me like who's simon i said i'm a progress addict and he said you related really closely to that where do you think that drive like for progress comes from um that's a good question i don't know I, i've always been competitive everything i've done i've always wanted to do i've wanted to be the best at it like so whether that's driven by insecurity whether it's driven by ego i don't know but that's always what's fueled me um and i just i just can't sit feeling like i'm setting for mediocrity that's something that like makes me squirm a little bit yeah i'm exactly the same i posted a quote and it's my it's my favorite quote of all time and it's like i was born with something inside of me that refuses to be average Mm. i don't know what it is but i'm so fucking thankful for it yeah Um, i just i just i struggle with 
Uh, and I've had this conversation quite a few times. Um, and I'm almost, I'm almost a little bit jealous of people that can feel content with just ticking over. Because when I'm in that ticking over moment, it feels like I'm going backwards. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not going forwards, it's like, well, why am I wasting time? Like, I need to do something that pushes me forwards, whether it's physically, whether it's mentally, whatever, business related, athletically related, it doesn't matter. I just need progress. Yeah, I can so closely relate. I think it'd be really interesting for people. So if people do have that feeling, if you find yourself feeling like you are ticking over, I think two sides of this. One, what have maybe you done that has then caused that? Because I know for me, sometimes if I end up like not looking after my sleep, if I try and take on too much, I don't say no to enough things, I then find myself almost spinning my wheels. So I think that side of it, but then also what do you do to get yourself out of if you feel like you're ticking over to kind of help yourself feel like you're moving forwards? So this was something I really struggled with uh, for a long, long time. And um, it, it caused me to, to sign up with our mutual coach, Joe Parrish. Um, and something we'll come on to, I guess, shortly, but post-tire flip, um, I, I essentially couldn't hit any intensity and I was forced into a period of maintenance and I, I didn't accept it. I felt like I had to make progress. So I ended up running myself into the ground. I would train to, a, and I just couldn't train with any intensity. Anytime I trained, I would just feel shattered and it ruined my productivity. Yeah. It completely trashed me. Um, and, and what it took to get out of that was, was a period of acceptance and a shift in focus of what it is that I'm trying to progress. And then it was just like, well, why don't you look for progress in another area and just maintain fitness? And it was that simple reframe that, that really took me out of, of that mindset. And then as a byproduct, when I started focusing on, um, for example, my coaching ability, all of a sudden I had more energy for my training and my training started to progress without me even trying. Yeah. So I think it's, fi- it's finding multiple metrics of progress. And it's really interesting because I-, I had a very similar conversation with Joe earlier this year. I think, so I did the marathon last October and you know what you're like after an event like that, you're super hyped, like, yep, next challenge. Just went straight into training for the next thing. Beat my head against the wall for a little bit, kept going, kept going, had a little bit of downtime over Christmas. And then it was like, right, I'm in. Did a little dieting phase and then was chasing the five and 500. And I was like, why is my fitness not going anywhere? I'm like, I'm fucked 24 seven. And it took me having a conversation exactly the same with Joe. It's like, you need to, I need to do a maintenance. My whole life has been like, right, I've got this match. I've got this tournament. I've got this trial. I've got this event. It's just been one after the other, after the other. It's rare that I actually go, do you know what? Maintenance is a win right now, but it's such a hard lesson to learn. And I've realized that if I look at kind of personal life, professional life, and then um like athletic ability so physique performance i can only push two of those at the same time if i try and push three i just burn out yeah a really good a really good frame for that that i i got to in the past was uh major minor maintain so you have three areas so one thing you major in whether that's your so for me it's my my, my three areas are my athletic ability my family and my business um which covers the co- the coaching box as well so out of those three areas I, i'm at any one time i'm a major in one i'm a maintaining the other and i'm a minor in the final one mm. and anytime i get my head around that and it's just like right so this period it could be a day it could be a week it could be a month whatever it's like right if i'm going to major in family time in downtime that means that training goes to minimum effective dose and 
family time gets scheduled in first and then my training minimum effective dose gets scheduled in around that because I want to make sure the main thing stays the main thing. And then business, like, so it's, it's just like constantly going through these, these um, ebbs and flows with these different areas um, and just like literally just that reframe. And I have to remind myself of it constantly because I find myself trying to major in all three. And then I wonder why I'm tired and nothing's progressing. And it's just a step back, reflect, right. Yeah, it's a massive case of just managing your expectations. We all think we're all think we're fucking superheroes and we can do everything until you realize you can't. Mm. <laughs> um, I always say your happiness is a, a ratio between your reality and your expectations. Mm. So if you can manage your expectations based on, I love that the major minor maintain. Um, and it's really really smart. So um, you mentioned it. Let, let's kind of jump into the tire flip. Yeah. So do you want to just explain exactly kind of what it was for everybody first? Yeah, so it was a it's a Guinness World Record uh, as a pair. So two two guys flipping a or two people flipping a seventy five kilo tire for twenty six point two miles, and it had to be alternating flips. So one flip per person, um, and that's it. And you, it was a forty hour time cap. Forty hour. How long did it take then? Thirty four hours. Thirty four. Yeah. So 40 hours was the previous record? Uh, no, it'd never been done. Oh, it'd never been done? No, but that was like, if you're over, like, because if you decided just to get your head down and do half a mile a day, they, they just weren't interested in that. Yeah, yeah, I completely get that. So how, how did this, like, I can never even imagine someone coming up with this idea. Um, so how did this come about? Yeah, I can take no credit for how it came about. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a previous colleague, a guy who used to be my troop, um, got in touch with me in lockdown for coaching yeah. and he said um i want to set a world record i want to flip a tire for a marathon and i think you're the man to coach me for it i said okay cool um on the consultation call i then pulled up guinness world records to look at the event and i said mate that's a that's a pairs event and he went yeah but i don't trust anyone to do it with me so i'm gonna do it solo and uh, like instantly the cogs were ticking in my brain because I was going for a period where all my eggs were like in coaching going from like due to the COVID lot we spoke about at the start and I, I'd neglected myself. So I had no physical goal to train for. And I was the guy that spoke about setting and chasing big, scary goals. Yet I didn't have one. So I felt a little bit like a fraud. And then this landed on my lap um, and I was like, mate, I'll do that with you. And he's like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, 100%. He's like, well, I trust you to do it with me because I trust you to coach me for it. Um, so I was like, cool. And then that was that. That was the wheels in motion then. Um, and it took a year and a half, more, more due to logistics than training. But a, a year and a half later, we then, uh, yeah, completed it. That's bonkers. So literally just on the call there, you just said, yeah, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, literally. Yeah. yeah, it was... I, I, as soon as as soon as I looked at it and I saw it as a pairs event, the first thing I thought was like, because you're never doing that on your own. Like we it ended up being ended up being a million kilos we flipped each. So two two million kilos and like I, I just I I just don't think that's in 40 hours, I don't think one person's completing that. Yeah. Uh, that that was gonna be my question. I was like, what do you think the likelihood of someone doing it on their own would have been? Yeah, and it I I it wouldn't have happened. Um yeah, I'd, I'd be very surprised if, if a solo can do that in the time frame. Yeah, the time the time frame is the big part there, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. to put it into into context, the previous 
solo 24 hour record was 10K um, in 24 wow. hours. So, and we did 40, was it 42K? Yeah, 42.2K. 42.2K in, in 34 hours. So, you're like, yeah, that's it's just not going to happen. Yeah, absolutely not. So, um, I want to paint like a bit of a picture for this. So, it took, you said 18 months, like, to sort it out. So what, what was the hardest part? You said the logistics. Expand on that. Yeah. So Guinness, so still not actually Guinness verified. So it's still technically unofficial because the the parameters for Guinness are so difficult if you're not doing a registered event. So and we wasn't allowed to do it at the London Marathon or any any structured race because of the time we'd have to start compared to when the race would start. Um and so they signed us off to do it as an independent event. And then it was finding a location where you could flip a tire for a marathon that ticked all the boxes. Yeah. Um, and we ended up getting the Top Gear track. Um, really? Yeah. That's sick. Yeah. Dunsfold Dun, Aerodrome. Um, so if you've seen the episode where Jeremy Clarkson pulls the plane um, in, in whatever car he does that in, it's that's, that's the runway that we flip it up and down. So we set a 500 metre lane. And we flipped it 84 times and then another 200 meters. Oh, that must have been so repetitive. I, I, I was so switched off to it. Like, yeah. it's a question I got asked is like, what did you do when you felt like quitting? Like, everyone asked me that. And genuinely, at no point did I feel like quitting. It was, I just, it was just like the next 500 meters, the next 500 meters, the next 500 meters. And mm-hmm. to keep me occupied, I was doing a lot of maths in my head. So I was working out, like I was trying to work out how many flips it would take. And, and my partner, Harry, I was doing it with, like that was winding him up. He, he didn't want to hear the numbers. But for me, the numbers were keeping me occupied. Um, whereas he just wanted to zone out and just flip where I was like running, like shouting out numbers out loud. And and so, yeah, there was a bit, a bit of conflict there between us. But yeah, no, it's, it wasn't enjoyable, but it was good. Yeah, I can imagine. That's funny because I did the exact same thing for the marathon. I was literally there like working out the time, how long was left, and I was like, just running through numbers in my head. I think I've always liked numbers. Can't spoil for shit. Mm. And I'll admit it. But I've always liked numbers and just been able to kind of go through those numbers in my head. And okay, if that much, this much left, this speed, if you hold that, yeah, I'd yeah. be very, very similar. So um, what did the training look like for it then? If it took it took 18 months to kind of get ready, and obviously a lot of that was logistics, what was the training like for it? So it was, it was pretty much a concurrent, like a, like a hybrid type of training program. Um, I only flipped a tire one day a week for, for most of it. Um, and then a lot of pre-fatigue stuff. So a, so a Saturday would be typically be like a, a four hour plus event, a tire, tire flip event. Um, and then the Friday would be very barbell heavy, um, comp, like compound movements, very heavy, just to trash my body for then a long flip the next day. And then the build-up earlier in the week was was typically a heavy squat day, um, a run, a heavy pull day, a row, and then a full body beasting, and then a flip. And it was pretty much like that. Like it was, it was so simple. But like I had no cramp. My so most people worry about the lower back. Lower back was completely fine. Grip complete. Like there was literally no dramas other than sheer tiredness i was i just felt exhausted and wanted to sleep yeah because that's a like even just being up for 34 hours Mm. is hard enough in itself for the average person but to be doing the same thing for 34 hours and flipping a tire um 
yeah, I, d- I just don't know what you would do to prep you for that. No, and like I didn't, even, I didn't do any night flips. I didn't do, I didn't do anything like that. I just thought, like obviously with a military background, there was a lot of times where we had to grizz stuff at stupid hours, and and I backed my ability to just grizz. Like I'd been in dark places a lot of times, um, and I just backed myself to be able to just. I didn't want to get injured, and I didn't want to cramp. Like they were two things I were quite big on, because I thought if I cramp, like that's going to be down to conditioning. And if I'm not conditioned and I cramp pretty early, it's going to be a terrible time. Yeah, it's gonna it's, it's gonna be a long it's gonna be a long hot thirty four hours. Yeah, um, yeah, that's crazy. I suppose like what I'm thinking, I'm saying you probably almost just saw it like orders. It's like I've been mm-hmm. given a job to do. It's just yeah. it's my job. You yeah. know, yeah. it's literally like it was just one flip. So I would do a flip, and we had a rotation like what side of a tire we'd walk. And I'd flip, step to the right-hand side. Harry would step through, flip, step to the left-hand side. And it was just almost like a metronome. And we just like ticked through. And we had to have two witnesses with us at all times. So this is more logistic stuff that was a pain in the ass. So we had a guy with a GoPro walking backwards filming us. Like, and they were struggling more than us because they were walking back and they had to do four-hour stints. So they were walking backwards for 500 metres at a time with a GoPro filming us. The other guy was on a clock with a clipboard and he had to make a note of all our splits and like that to cycle through that, make sure the batteries weren't dying. So there was all these processes that we had to get in place prior. Cause like even setting up the event, like it was me and Harry that set the event up. So we got, so although it was 34 hours flipping it, it was probably more like 40 plus hours all in all, because then it was like a two hour drive to the runway. And then it was, uh, it took about four or five hours to actually set up the track and then actually start the flip. So like, we didn't make things easy for ourselves. Yeah. Uh, why would you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that's bonkers, man. I, like, I'm just trying to put into perspective. Like, I, I, was, like, I went for a run around at rugby on the weekend and we did some tie flips and I was literally thinking of you doing these mm. tie flips. I was like, that man's a fucking machine. <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, I didn't feel like it. Like, it's it's... Whenever I talk about it now, because it's also quite hard for people to comprehend, it's mm. quite like, because you can't compare it to anything. Like it's not comparable. Um, so people don't really get it. Like, so it's, it's I think it was uh, 14,000 flips each, uh, a million and a million kilos. It's like, that, they, were, they were roughly the numbers. So that's the only real way I can get people to gauge it. Like go to the gym. Most gyms have a tire or, or a tire equivalent. Like just flip that for 10 minutes. Um, that, that was actually my very first training session. I flipped a tire for 15 minutes so I could see how far I could flip in 15 minutes. And then I'd use that as a kind of like pacing. And I couldn't do the 15 minutes unbroken because my forearms went. Yeah, that's crazy. So like how, how long did it take you to build that up then? Um, I, I was probably ready in 12 months. And then it was six months of trying to get a venue yeah that must have been so frustrating mm. so frustrating yeah could we done we done two two milestone flips leading up to it one of them was a, a 10k so that was we only actually flipped together once um so we did a 10k together and then we did 10 miles individually um and that 10 miles individually was one of the hardest things I've ever done because I just went to the local rugby pitch. It was on a, a Friday day. No one was around. So I had hardly, I literally 
like two people come and support me throughout the time. And then I just flipped it around the field for hours, like what, 10 hours. It's about, you flip, it's about a mile an hour. Yeah, that's, yeah, I can imagine. Just even the, the loneliness of that. Yeah. And the fact that it is literally you. And I think almost the worst part about that, there's no, it's no event. No. It's no event. It's, uh, it's you on a field doing this because you've signed up for it. Yeah. Why, why, so obviously I know you can't kind of ask this, but like you must have been having some interesting thoughts going through, particularly that one on your own. What was going on through your head? So the one on my own, I was like, I, I, I want, so I'd never weighed the tire either, the one I trained with, because um, I, I didn't have a, I didn't have a way to be able to weigh it. Um, and I, I was just, I just didn't think it was possible. Like after that, after that 10 hour flip, I wasn't sure I was actually going to be able to complete it. Like in my head, I was like, I don't think I'm ready. But then I ended up weighing my tire and it was a hundred kilos. Um, so I, I like finding a way to weigh that. So it turned out that I'd actually been like training with overload the whole time. So it was a 75 kilo tire we needed. And I'd been training at hundred kilos. And that like was just like a sigh of relief. So then the yeah. first time I ever flipped a 75 kilo tire was then wow. on the event. Yeah, it was like, wow. But it was so small. So my one covered more ground per flip. And the one we had, so it meant I had to do more flips. And like, yeah, it was those little things, like silly. Like in hindsight, I should have had the exact same tire that we were doing the event with, and I should have practiced with it. But it wasn't, it wasn't the case. Yeah, should have, could have, would have. But then yeah. would, it, would it have worked? Has the overload actually technically helped? You, you don't know. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, so if you could describe the, the whole experience of doing it in three words, what would they be? Fulfilling, exhausting, and life-changing. Life-changing in what way? Um, it took me, so all of the difficult events I've done in the military, the, like normally there'd be some kind of patrol, it would be the elements would be involved. So whether that's heat, snow, jungle, whatever, the elements would have an impact. But everything you did, the other side of it, you were expected to be able to operate, you were expected to be able to do your job. So therefore, you'd never put yourself in a place where you couldn't operate because you'd always work within that capacity. Whereas this event, the end was the end. Like there was nothing I had to do afterwards. So it was actually like putting myself in a place where it was just rep after rep. And it was, it was actually having that ability to trust myself that I'd do what I said I would and just flip it rep after rep like just keep going and and like i said at no point did i feel like i was i wanted to quit um which i didn't expect like in the lead up to it i was preparing myself for the conversations i was going to have and i was preparing myself for those conversations of wanting to quit and then like the kind of triggers that i was going to use in that moment but then it never came like I, honestly i i felt solid like mentally solid throughout just really exhausted <laughs> yeah that's yeah it's uh i suppose i can the only way i can imagine it is almost like you just step into a role you step into a persona and you say this is who i am until this job gets done yeah yeah like i, I don't i don't remember thinking that way but like that's exactly what it was nothing else around me matters i'm just gonna flip just one rep two rep three reps yeah. i i heard an incredible quote uh, a, a while ago and i've only realized this recently slight, slight tangent this is how i learn and how i remember things i attach everything to either like frameworks or quotes mm -hmm. and that's how I, how I remember things and it was by a, a guy who was an ultra marathon runner 
And he's saying the only reason people give up is because they can't stay present because they mm. can't imagine being in the pain they're in at the moment for however long's left. Whereas if they just focused on running the next 200 meters, they could have done it. And I'm hearing a lot of that of everything you said. You said, I just focused on the next length. I just focused on the next length. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, like that's, that's one of the principles you learn going through some military arduous courses. It's like, just get to the shower, like focus on getting to the shower that night. Cause when you're in the shower, like that's the day done. So just get to the shower, worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, just every day as it comes and like, just do that. And then even more micro is the next step. Like, so if you're climbing mountains, it's like, right, well, just the next step, like just count every left leg. So if, if you, if you had started thinking towards the, I don't know if I can do this. You start thinking, I don't know if I can do this for this long. How, what, what was the plan with the triggers? How were you, were you going to kind of pull yourself back into the present? Yeah. So a lot of the training I did with my son, like, so I got a little cut, like he's four, he was three at the time. Um, and he had a little car tire. And I got some really cool pictures of him doing it with me. And, um, amazing. and he was like, and the plan, so my missus and, and kids were going to be there at the end. Like, um, and it was just like, I, I wanted to get to Charlie. I wanted to get to the point when Charlie was going to be there. And then, because then when they were there, like there was literally never in a million years was I going to stop in front of him. Like that, that just wasn't happening. Um, so like, I was just counting down. I was just, so the trigger was, like, just get to Charlie. If that, if that came around, like I was just using that to get me there because it was so much closer than the end. Um, but but I, did, I didn't need to use it. Like it didn't, yeah. I was so, like, like you say, I was so present in that moment. It was all about the next flip. And then before I knew it, he was there anyway. And then that was almost like a, a second wind. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And that is really interesting because that really ties into, obviously you mentioned that how, how important family was to, and you used your, your three pillars and family was one of those. So it's almost like tying something which is super high on your values towards your motivation. How is this right now? allowing me to get towards and so, like support something which is really really important to me yeah yeah absolutely yeah because i think i think a lot of people actually like you you'll know this from even just coaching so many people struggle to tell you why they're actually doing things or what's actually going to motivate you to move forwards and I, i've shared one of my whys a couple of times it's like i saw my grandma passed away a couple of years ago and seeing how her mental health deteriorated as she got older she had early onset alzheimer's and dementia and things and seeing um that she didn't necessarily look after herself in the way that she could as she got a bit older and seeing that I'm not saying that is what caused that, but I'm like, bless her soul. Like she wasn't the same lady hmm. she, and the burden that it took on my family and seeing my old man, how he struggled with it. Like that scares the shit out of me. So that is one of my biggest drivers to look over my, look after my own physical and mental health and wellbeing as I get older so that I don't, hopefully one, I don't basically lose myself as I get older and two, I don't have to put any of my family through that. Because mm. I know she, I know she never would have wanted to do that, but I realised the effect that it had on my family, and like yeah. that is something that I just think about that, and it literally gives me fucking goosebumps, and like it would, it, it, I would do anything, like literally anything. So I think it's incredible to have that kind of little tie back into something that's really important, you something you value really, really high. So, um, what's the biggest lesson you learned from the whole experience? That. I trust myself to do what I said I would because that's something since leaving the military, I wasn't sure if I had in me. Um, and I wasn't sure if I only had that in me in the military because I was scared of failing. So anytime in the military, you quit something and you're typically going to fail a course. 
Um, so I, I wanted to know I still had that. I wanted to know I had the ability to do what I said I would and, and trust myself. Um, and completing that now like, has made me realise, yeah, I still got that in me. Do the goals need to be so drastic for me to have that trust? Like, I'm still learning. I don't know. Because you could say, like, if I say I'm going to train at 5.30 in the morning because I have to, and then I don't, that should have the same weight because I'm, I'm still breaking trust in myself. Absolutely. I, I love that. I, say, I always say confidence is earned. It's not given. And it's mm. earned from keeping your promises to yourself. Um, the amount of people who say I'm going to do something and they just break the promises to themselves. I write down three words every morning and one of them is integrity. Do what you fucking said you would. Um, if you can't keep your word to yourself, who are you? That's what I think. Sounds a bit savage, but um, that's that's why I think fitness is such an incredible thing because I think it's a lot of the time, particularly when it comes to a transformation journey or even a fitness challenge, it's quite often it's the first time in a very long time or ever that people have actually kept them promises to themselves. I think that's why your fitness journey, transformation, whatever it might be, can nine times out of ten be the catalyst to you thinking, holy shit, I'm capable of so much more. Yeah, 100%. And, it, and I think that's what becomes addictive. Yeah. I, I think I think that feeling of like succeeding and knowing that that you're capable of so much more like you just said and then having that belief in yourself to like, I think that's why people typically go from a, a, a visual physical transformation into then some kind of something performance related whether that's a marathon whether that's a 10k whatever because it's like it's almost like it's just stepping stones isn't it and then before you know it people are bloody running ultras yeah literally um so exactly leads, leads quite on uh, words um leads on quite well to what i was gonna say what's next so i want to i want to complete an iron man now i say that with not a great deal of confidence um i'm going to complete an iron man at some point but i want that to be the next goal mm. the problem is um i say i say a problem it's a good problem it's a first world problem i'm a strength conditioning coach for a football team and that takes up a considerable amount of my time, all of my Saturday. And I know you're looking at 25 plus hour training weeks for an Ironman. And I'm not sure I have that bandwidth right now. So I'm I'm gonna see, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dip my toe in it and I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if it's something that's actually realistic because I don't wanna bulldoze into it blind and set myself up to fail because I think that would do more harm than good to, to my trust in myself. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I want to do because also why an Ironman for me, it's, uh, I'm five for eight and 92 kilos. I shouldn't like, that is not like conducive to me and how I'm built. So therefore like, again, proving, proving people wrong. That's what I want to go and do. Yeah. I love that. Join me for the, the half in March in Dubai. Yeah. <laughs> like, like te I'm technically i should well because i want to do i want to do by next october is when i want to complete it by so based on that timeline like march would be a perfect time for a half yeah that's what i so i, I really want to do the full um but it's like logistically i'm exactly the same thing like business and everything else it's just like do I have the time, energy, bandwidth that I can do this and I'm not going to do something half-hearted. If I'm going to fucking do it, I'm going to fucking mm. do it. Um, to then still be able to deliver to our clients, which 
has to be a priority right now as well. Um, that's why I'm like, I booked the half and dip my toe in it with that. Um, like I can probably get away with probably seven to 10, seven to 12 hour training week. Cause I know my running is absolutely fine. Cause I've done marathon, a load of half marathons in the last kind of 18 months or so. Um, it's going to be the bike going to be the big one for me. Mm. Um, if I just put up, put up the frequency on that, it should be okay. So I'm dipping my toe in it with that as well. And then, uh, we'll see about the full one. <laughs> do, do you know what my problem with committing to a half is? And, and I feel like, like I'm cut, I feel like I'm cutting myself short. Yeah. Like, if you're going to, if you're going to fucking do it, if I can send yeah. it, I, I had this conversation with Joe as well. And he had to he, like, I get where he's coming from, but half of me's like, just fucking do it. You pussy. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. It's still, it's still an amazing achievement, but just knowing that it's, if it's on the same day as a full and I finish a half and people are, and carry on, like I'm going to feel inadequate. Like yeah, that's a personal insecurity. Definitely. I, but, I'm exactly the same. That's what I was genuinely looking so hard for one in March. Cause I go on holiday at the end of March as well. And the Dubai one I'm heading over there. We're going to be there the whole time, but they only do a half in the middle East. They only really do halves purely, purely because of the temperature. Mm -hmm. um, but I have bookmarked a few dates for some falls at the start of summer, but we'll see. Well, <laughs> we'll at see. least, at least with that though, like everyone's finishing together. Like it's, it's a half event. So if you're doing like a, a legit 70.3, then at least, yeah, that, that yeah. would feel better. Yeah, no, I, I get you. I do like, I, Joe, Joe had to convince me a lot. And I was like, nah, stuff that I'll do a full, I'll just do one, just do one later. He's like, if you're there, do it. Cause it will give, give you a tip. Like, like you said, dip your toe in the water. It'll give you some actual experience. I never would have mm. done triathlon in my life. Um, and then go from there. Cause who knows where, business everything else will be and things like that by then as well it just might go hey look this isn't the right time or it might be hey we've got more team on board i've actually got a bit more time to be able to um do that and from if like from a coaching perspective that's exactly what i would tell you to do it's exactly what i should tell myself to do like it's the right thing to do 100 percent. but there's something inside of us that goes Stop being a dick. Yeah. <laughs> so, so funny. Uh, well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. I always like to ask people this question. It's my favorite question to ask people. If you could go to dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would it be? Yeah, so um, Michael Jordan. Yes, love that. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. And um, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey's... Uh, have, you, have you listened to his podcast with Nick Bear? no yeah definitely worth a listen um bear, bear performance podcast yeah yeah i know the one podcast yeah he did one on there very very good podcast yeah i i, I knew that existed as well and i forgot about it because uh yeah. that come out when i was listening to green lights um mm. and I, I just completely forgot about it until until now yeah incredibly wise man yeah i just like so so the three of them i just see as like the pinnacle of what they do so cristiano ronaldo i don't think you'll get a person with a better work ethic than him right. in sport um michael jordan the same and then uh, then again like um i mcconaughey from from what i know of him and from what i've read of him like just the three of them are just super inspirational people from the way they live their life and the way they act yeah the standards that they hold themselves to the standards yeah yeah that standards are just it's the game changer isn't it and it's mm. uh it's how people yeah, I just like dissecting like people who have done incredible things and how they live, how they think, how they operate, the story that they tell themselves. Um, I find it absolutely fascinating. So, dude, honestly, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Do you want to just let everybody know where they can find you? 
Yeah, so on Instagram, it's just Louis underscore Plumridge. Uh, that'll be the best place. Epic. And uh, obviously, I'll leave the tags in the, the notes below and things like that. But dude, thank you so much. Have a good one. Cheers, buddy. Soon. Thank you.